Hi, Faye. How are you? Hello, Sarah. I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. I'll just give you a quick introduction. Okay. Faye, Faye Moore grew up in Port Hope and raised her family there. She's co-founder with the late Patricia Lawson of the volunteer citizen organization, Port Hope Community Health Concerns Committee. It is a not-for-profit organization started in 1995. The group's main focus is the health and safety of residents and workers due to the operations of two nuclear facilities within the town and 80 years of exposure to radioactive emissions and wastes. That is a lot of time. I didn't realize it was 80 years, Faye. Um, so let's just start out. Can you tell us about the nuclear operations in Port Hope, I guess starting 80 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, thank you, Sarah. Um, Port Hope has today two nuclear industries within its boundaries. Uh, today we have a population of approximately 16,000 people, and that is a small community uh, with a small geographic territory to host two nuclear industries, which clearly do not have buffer zones. Both are operated by Cameco Corporation. Uh, Cameco operates a facility on the waterfront of Port Hope, and that is a conversion facility. And it takes uranium trioxide from Blind River and converts it to UO2. And it also produces uranium hexafluoride, which it exports for light water reactors. The other facility is located on the east end of town and uh, it was previously started by um, an American company. And then it was uh, purchased by Westinghouse in the 50s and then purchased uh, by Chemico in 2005, I believe it was. Um, and it is a fuel fabricating facility. So it takes the uranium, which it receives from Chemico, waterfront facility and it uh, produces uranium pellets for can-do reactors. It also conducts some research there as both facilities do conduct research there. And they are licensed by the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission. Uh, the facility on the waterfront actually began in the 1930s and it was originally, uh, the purpose was to extract uranium, or sorry, radium from uranium ore, which came down from the Northwest Territories. What was the radium supposed to be used for, Faye? Well, it, it was used for different uh, uh, business purposes. And um, what happened at the time was it took 25 tons of concentrate to produce one gram of radium. And, and seven tons of chemicals to process one ton of ore. And what that did was it created a significant volume of wastes in Port Hope on the waterfront. Uh, in 1941, the US government ordered eight tons of uranium oxide from El Dorado gold mines operation. And the company then was called El Dorado and it adapted its processes from radium to uranium it began to provide uranium to the US Army and it changed its name to El Dorado Mining and Refining. And this material was used for the Manhattan Project. 
1944, because of wartime security concerns, uh, the Canadian government took over the private company and made it a crown corporation. And so it subsequently became regulated by the Atomic Energy Control Board. And uh, in the 40s and 50s, El Dorado played a central role uh, in establishing a Canadian uranium industry. But it was also requiring a significant uh, financial investment from the Canadian government. I'd like to talk a little bit about the Chemical Corporation's um, waterfront facility. Um, and you mentioned that they're making uranium trioxide. Can you explain that to us a little bit, what that is? No, they take the uranium trioxide from Blind River and they produce uranium dioxide for that. That's part of what they do to convert. And they also produce uranium hexafluoride. And then those substances are used for nuclear fuel. And they're oh, used okay. for nuclear okay. fuel in the ca Canadian can-do reactors. And there are can-do reactors around the world as well. Mm -hmm. And they also provide for non-can-do reactors. So they're one of the premier facilities in North America. Okay, Faye, so, so you were telling us a lot that there is a lot of waste um, being produced at these facilities. Can you tell us more about that? Yes. Uh, waste was produced, as I said, through the uh, processes at the plant. Uh, when the radium was being extracted from uranium ore, the uranium was considered a waste product, and it was... Uh, historically stacked quite out in the open around the plant, uh, which then leached onto the beach. And there was also waste uh, taken to the local dump where it was, um, uh, I, I want to use the word scavenged, I guess, uh, by people. And waste can consist of dirt, uh, brick, cement, uh, furniture, jars, ceramics that have been used in buildings on the site that are then torn down. And a lot of that just got indiscriminately dumped around the community. It was dumped down into ravines. Uh, it was uh, trucked uh, out to fields. And as I said, it was put into the town dump so that was the beginning of the randomness of the waste distribution. They also were trucking it out Lakeshore Road along the shores of Lake Ontario to Port Granby, a small community out there. And they were uh, using fields on the south side of the road, which then had an embankment down to Lake Ontario and continued leaching for many years. As to when the plant officially stopped indiscriminately dumping, I think it's really hard to say uh, because uh, there, there really wasn't anyone watching and reporting on when the indiscriminate um, practices actually stopped. Around what year did they finally try to formalize the waste stream? What year was that when they finally did that? The contaminated waste was dispersed within Port Hope, uh, largely from 1933 to 1948. 
1948, there was a waste management facility created at uh, the town of Welcome, uh, which was just outside of Port Hope, which is now part of the Port Hope uh, community after um, uh, integration some years ago. Then in 1955, a new waste management facility was also opened in Port Granby. Uh, in 1988, El Dorado was dissolved and uh, the assets purchased by Chemical Corporation. Both dump sites at Welcome and Port Granby were in operation for many years, uh, obviously when El Dorado Nuclear operated the plant. Mm -hmm. And as I said, when the random dumping of contaminated material around the area actually ended is, is impossible uh, for us to know or to say. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to further note that after 1988, Chemical Corporation purchased uh, the waterfront refinery operations and used both of these waste sites. Uh, and today, uh, in terms of another note on a waste product, Cameco is allowed by the regulator to distribute a waste product called ammonium nitrate as fertilizer to farmers, which contains what they say is an acceptable level of uranium. So this heavy metal accumulates on farm fields and is of, of course a concern to us. What are some of the health effects that are being experienced in your communities? About the health effects? Yeah. Um, one of the really difficult uh, things that we've run into as an organization and really why we formed was we, we watched the government when the issue of the presence of the waste throughout the community under schools, under homes, driveways, roads, uh, houses built with contaminated material. There was virtually no emphasis on studying the health of the people and helping people to get help. Uh, it was really seen from the beginning as a technical problem. And it was a drip, drip, drip of information starting in 1975 when the first information began to become public, which related to a school uh, and also uh, cattle dying um, because of uh, drinking contaminated water from a creek nearby that caused uh, the investigations to escalate. But I can tell you today in 2021, the cleanup uh, consultants, are still finding waste in Port Hope. So the true picture of the extent of the contamination has not been known ever since 1975. And are and, people getting cancers or how do you know that it's making people sick? Well, part of the problem is that it's very hard to draw a straight line from elevated rates of diseases to exposure to a particular substance. Uh, we have had, uh, through pre pressuring uh, the federal government, we've had some success in getting uh, basic statistical studies done uh, in 2000 and 2002, which clearly showed elevated rates of diseases for Port Hope people in time periods over uh, the previous 30 years 
in 10 years previous. There was also a study done, and this is federal data out of Health Canada. There was also a study done by the Great Lakes Health Effects Program of Health Canada, which showed elevated rates of diseases, um, including uh, neurological, cardiovascular, respiratory, cancers, including lip, oral cavity, pharynx, gallbladder, trachea, lung, bone. We had, over, uh, in the overall um, death rate, we had elevated circulatory disease, leukemia, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, childhood cancer deaths, cancers of the lung, brain, nasal sinus, esophageal, lip, bone, and colorectal. These were all statistics emerging from studies that worked with data produced by Health Canada. Faye, now, I'm, I'm would, just amazed. I mean, I my mother died of cancer, and uh, and I I just can't imagine that that people are are suffering from cancers, and the government is um, not taking responsibility for it. That that's astounding. Well, what they managed to do uh, is explain this away with very glib sentences. They average things out. They. Uh, dismiss the possibility that these rates of diseases could be due to radiation exposure because they use uh, estimates of dose that are not based on anyone's reality. Everyone in Port Hope has their own unique dose, depending on where they live, work, go to school, walk, what they drink. Uh, but inhalation is the worst route, and it is cons the, uh, consistently available to everyone in Port Hope, right? Everyone's breathing the air. There are emissions every day, and there have been uh, since the 30s, of uranium particles. And these are not normal, natural uranium particles. These are insoluble, oxidized particles that are like marbles in your lungs instead of sugar cubes. So they're particles in your lungs, they are irradiating constantly the tissues around the particles. They travel through the bloodstream, they go to other organs. And this is something that the uh, federal uh, explaining away of this data does not factor in, which is they are using bogus dose calculations, bogus dose estimates, in order to dismiss findings like this. When you say the government, exactly what organizations are dealing with this? And then which organizations do you feel should be dealing with it? The organization that has taken over responsibility and insisted on primary responsibility is the regulator of the industry, which clearly has a conflict of interest. So we begin with the federal government uh, departments back in the early 1940s. Then we move to the creation of the Atomic Energy Control Board which was largely consisted, it largely consisted of um, industry uh, appointments. Mm -hmm. So it was the fox watching the hen house. 
-hmm. And then it became the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission in 2000. And they insist on jurisdiction over everything nuclear. So what that means is the province of Ontario that has tried, and it has actually done some excellent monitoring in the past of vegetation, of air, of soil, and produced excellent phytotoxicology reports, which we have copies of, they are included in a very minor way, which we had to insist on uh, some years ago, that they be included and consulted as part of license renewal hearings. Uh, they're basically cut out of the health scenario. And that belongs to Health Canada, the radiation uh, protection branch, which basically works hand in glove with the CNSC and has not worked in the interests of the people of Port Hope on health issues. You do not hear anyone from the federal government coming to Port Hope warning about the dangers of uranium inhalation. That does not happen. In wow. fact, I was on a call last November uh, hosted by the Port Hope Area Initiative. And I actually heard one of their spokespeople saying that the material that was left here after there was an, a, an initial remediation and wastes taken to Chalk River around 1976 to 79, that everything left uh, was fine. It was nothing to worry about. There weren't any health risks with what's around Port Hope. Um, and I was absolutely appalled because that's not the reason that the transportation to Chalk River stopped. It wasn't because they had taken everything that was dangerous or harmful from Port Hope. It's because the Chalk, the Chalk River location was full and they had <laughs> no other location to take it. And so we have been waiting almost 50 years for a solution to what was 1.8 million cubic meters of radioactive waste around Port Hope and in Port Granby. So there has been a project of the Port Hope Area Initiative that has two prongs to it. One is to clean up Port Hope and the other is to clean up Port Granby. And there is $1.2 billion uh, committed by the federal government uh, to complete this project, which is not enough. Mm. Uh, they continue to find more locations and the locations are worse than they expected. Uh, so one of our big concerns right now is uh, Canadian Nuclear Laboratories, which is overseeing the cleanup project. Uh, its contractors, like the Port Hope Area Initiative, they're proposing to change the cleanup criteria. They want to weaken it so they don't have to clean up as much. <sighs> so they would like to, instead of cleaning up uranium in the soil to 23 parts per million, they want to make it 35 parts per million. Oh, and they're, of, so they're changing. I've I've seen this before. So they're changing mm -hmm. their own. They're just unilaterally changing their own regulations because they can. And so well, you're no, just. just <laughs> they, sorry, they've proposed to the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission mm. a change that has to be approved mm. by the CNSC, by the municipality, by mm. CNL. All the parties have to agree, and there will be a hearing. So mm. we wrote the Prime Minister objecting 
to the fact they want to change arsenic from 18 parts per million to 100 parts per million. And we're not seeing any uh, substantive documentation to support this kind of change and leaving this kind of contamination in our town. So we strongly object to this. They also, as part of the cleanup, have no health monitoring going on at all. They have open air mounds of dirt around the town, across from schools, uh, beside homes, uh, multiple sites going on at one time. They have people still living in occupied houses dug out around them, children playing nearby. Uh, it's appalling. And there is wow. no health monitoring going on whatsoever. I just want to ask you, we're, we're just coming to the end of our, of our 20 minutes here. And I want to ask you, um, you know, as an activist who's been doing this for a long time and you keep on saying we, you know, and, and you're and you're talking about really specific documents um, that I'm sure are not easy to read between the Canadian nuclear lab, Canadian nuclear laboratories and, and the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to be an activist? How big is your group? What would your be? What would be your advice to to citizens who want to get active on this? Um, over the years, we started coming together around 1995, and our impetus at the time was hearing that there were grants available from the Great Lakes Health Effects Program of Health Canada uh, to help communities come up with health study designs. So we applied and were successful. We obtained $10,000 grant, which we used to have round tables and we invited government uh, people from different departments, including the CNSC and Health Canada, Medical Officer of Health, province of Ontario, we brought people together as well as independent uh, scientists. And we came up after a year and a half with a health study design for Port Hope. Uh, some of us have personal experience uh, as I do, for example, and I'm typical of many people. I grew up in a contaminated house. I had my blackboard attached to what I found out in 1977 were uh, uh, posts contaminated by pipes from El Dorado, which were uh, some inches away and had to be removed. And I began at the age of 12 to uh, experience uh, dizziness and hearing loss and was subsequently diagnosed with Meniere's disease, which I've had all my life. I now have it in my other ear. Uh, there were okay. people who had personal experiences who came to the table, um, you know, because of, uh, as many of us did, going to a contaminated school, playing on a contaminated beach, um, it, because it was all over, yeah. and feeling very let down by the very government that should have been protecting us. And that still has not happened. What you see as, uh, from the federal departments and from the contractors are obfuscations, misleading statements, and 
it's very overpowering to deal in a community like ours when the powerful are arrayed against you. And what you're trying to do is something that is uh, common sense, common decency, and should have been part and parcel from the beginning of making things right in our community. Um, we're still fighting for that. To have to deal with a change of criteria for cleaning up the town that was agreed upon after extensive consultations and which themselves were compromises uh, some years ago, to have to deal with that now in 2021 mm -hmm. and worry about what else is going to be changed, what, what other shortcuts are going mm -hmm. to be proposed, um, how much are they going to leave in Port Hope? And they, you know what? They will say there's no evidence of harm. And the fact is they're not looking. Yeah. They're not yeah. studying. They're not so accumulating data. And Port Hope was promised health studies in 1978. They were promised a public inquiry and that never happened. Sounds Faye like like your like your main message to listeners is that it's up to citizens to be vigilant and that we can't trust our government to do that. No, absolutely, that is our experience. That the minimizing, the dismissing, and the amount of time, the hours it takes of citizens in an impacted community, it's an uphill battle. And you know, we all had to work. We all had jobs. We were all raising children. Um, we had lives to live, and this industry has taken enormous amounts of time and energy from thousands of people over the last 80 years. And they've taken the lives of workers who were there, and that's proven by workmen's compensation claims, and some that they still to this day fight and are, are fighting. Um, one thing we dis got discovered in our research was the United States Department of Justice recognizes 35 diseases as caused by radiation and they compensate their workers and community downwinders. And in fact, they've spent approximately $14 billion in compensation for people. The federal government appears to be terrified of acknowledging that exposure to uranium and radiation in Canada through its industry causes harm to people. And it does. It just stands to reason. Mm -hmm. So the scientists in the United States have been listened to. They've developed legislation. And that should happen here. And my message, to, I think, to communities is to be very, very cautious about allowing a nuclear industry to impact your life and your community. Um, the power lies elsewhere. And it is a, a real uphill battle to ever be heard uh, on the subject. And if it is there, don't give up. Keep fighting. Keep working. Because we do believe we've made a difference. We have been successful in uh, requiring that the industry have better you know, fire and emergency procedures. Uh, we have had health data produced. Um, so we keep at it. But unfortunately, we were born into it. Yeah. And there are ways now in Canada 
that if we stop producing this waste, um, if we stop expanding the industry, then we're going to reduce the harm to other communities because this does not stay in place. It goes in the air, it goes in the water, and we have impacted here out of the Port Hope industry, uh, Lake Ontario and the Ganaraska River uh, for decades. Mm. And who knows the, the long-term damage that that has caused. So we do have to care about our environment. And to that end, we need an independent regulator that is accountable to parliament and not uh, a body that is off by itself pretending it's independent and it's quasi-judicial when in fact all it does is create allowable levels that allow the industry to operate. That really is its function. And all you have to do, anyone can go on and watch one of their hearings. And the last one in Peterborough in March of 2020 over BWXT is a case in point of the panel sitting there absolutely not listening and believe what they see in front of them with concerned citizens is merely a public relations problem. And the chair said, how can I convince you this is safe? <laughs> what, what words can I use to, to convince you people that you don't need to be worried? Yeah, that's, and that's the that's Canadian the Nuclear Safety Commission. That's, that's the, the chair. Of the, uh, and it was absolutely appalling. But wow. at least it's right out in the open. That, yeah. That's what they're there for. And they need mm -hmm. to be replaced. And yeah. in terms of the Port Hope situation, we are writing the Auditor General of Canada. Uh, we are asking again. We did this in 2008. We're asking again for a thorough investigation of where the money has gone uh, on Port Hope when they're really just getting started to clean up private properties. Mm -hmm. um, we need a wholesale review of what has happened here and independent oversight. So yeah. we're hoping that we will be successful in that endeavor and that absolutely no changes to the cleanup criteria will be made except to make them even tighter, which is the yeah. direction that science is going. Yeah. Thanks so much, Faye. Um, before I let you go, are there any other points you'd like to add? Thanks, Sarah. Yes, there are a couple of other points. Uh, one is that in 2007, our committee worked with the Urania Medical Research Center and uh, we released uh, urine bioassay results, which showed the presence of uranium-236 in the bodies of three former workers uh, at Cameco, and uh, this is not natural uranium, and uranium-236 is uh, an isotope uh, indicative of recycled reactor product being present in the uranium in Port Hope. These were workers that had not been in the plant for many years, uh, one 23 years, and uh, all three workers uh, were ill at the time that we did the testing. So what was in Port Hope was uh, became a real question mark of uh, 
we, we knew they had enriched uranium, depleted uranium, natural uranium, but what we found was the substance, the chemical confirmed can be present in the, the feed material and in the cylinders uh, as they are reused. Um, and so that was a real concern because those are transuranics. So where there's 236 uranium, there can also be other substances. I'd also like to mention that the standard of proof of disease and uh, cause should, in, in this case, uh, where you are looking at environmental contamination, not have to meet a criminal standard of 95% uh, certainty. Uh, that is very difficult with any disease association uh, in medicine as, as we understand it. And what the United States did was apply a civil standard of the preponderance of evidence. And they stipulate that certain diseases are caused by exposure to certain substances in the workplace. Now we argue that this is required in Canada in terms of radiation exposure uh, for workers and for communities. <clears throat> and we would point out that uh, in Ontario, we have an example with the firefighters where um, they have the right to compensation if they have been exposed in certain situations and uh, develop certain diseases. And so these are stipulated and they avoid a terrible struggle by sick people to have workplace injury uh, recognized far more easily. And so we argue, uh, and we have done at uh, hearings for Cameco, uh, for Darlington, um, in environmental assessment hearings, we bring up the same points over and over again that a similar system in Canada is needed for workers in the nuclear industry uh, to save years of pain and suffering and expense as workers become sicker and sicker and do not get justice, uh, wow. that we need a similar, yeah. we need yeah, a similar I, system in Canada. I agree. And by we, you mean the Port Hope Community Health Concerns Committee, right? Yes, we have been arguing that for uh, a number of years, really since we found out about okay. the U.S. system. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so that's in a number of our interventions that have gone into the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission uh, that right. this is really required. All right. Well, in my um, in my about section for the podcast, I know you guys don't have a website up, um, but in my about section for this podcast, I'll try to um, update the links as you go along to your submissions to various um, government bodies um, arguing on the behalf of Canadians. I'm very appreciative of this interview with you, Faye. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Sarah, and I appreciate the linkages. Okay. Okay. Take care. Thank you. Good luck. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.